Well, let's let God speak to us. Would you open your Bibles and let's hear God's word for us today. This is Genesis chapter 12, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. Genesis 12, 1 through 5. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. This is God's word for us today. Lord, we have asked you to... Speak to us. That's a bold thing to ask, but we believe you really do love to speak to your people and that you have a word for each one of us. So would you open each of our hearts? Help us to hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. Suppose you were given the task of fixing all the world's problems. I mean, all the world's problems. It's a pretty long list, isn't it? I mean, everything from world hunger, disease, to long lines at the ladies' restroom. Everything. Suppose you had to fix everything. Where would you begin? Or better yet, who would you invite to do the job with you. The Bible tells us that when God set out to fix all the world's problems, he, he chose to help someone, uh, he chose to, 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 uh, to invite someone to uh, help him in that process who was a pretty unlikely choice. He uh, started in an unlikely place and with a very unpromising couple of people. We're in this third week of our, the third movement of this look at the whole big picture of the Bible. Long story short, this Bible that we read is a long story, isn't it? It's complicated. Have you ever been in a corn maze? You can't see what the, the pattern is, can you? And it's easy to get lost and get to dead ends and retrace your steps, and it's always muddy. I don't know why. Every corn maze I've ever been has been super muddy, and it takes a long time to find your way out. But if you can see those drone shots of the corn maze from up above, you say, wow, there's an amazing pattern here. It all makes a picture. That's kind of what we're trying to do with this, this series, get us out of the corn maze and up into the, the, the drone shot and be able to say, oh, okay, what's the, what's the picture here? The whole plot of the Bible can be divided into six 
simple movements or six simple episodes. We started a couple weeks ago with episode one. That was creation. Creation. That was Genesis 1 and 2. And then last week, there was crisis or what went wrong. So first creation and then crisis, what went wrong. And today is God's people of hope, the third movement or the third episode. Uh, If we want to boil that down to one word again, we'd say calling. God's people of hope or calling. Ever since the crisis of Adam and Eve deciding that they couldn't trust God, that they knew better than him that they could find happiness in their lives by going outside the limits that God had set for them, then this life has included beauty and pain, life and death, evil and suffering, or suffering and joy, goodness and evil. Those all have kind of grown together like flowers and weeds, all in the same place. But God's plan was never to just let things kind of limp along that way for all eternity. His plan always included a way out of this mess that we're in. And it star- he started that plan by calling Abraham and his wife, Sarah. You see here in Genesis 12, they were Abram and Sarai at the time. God has this way of changing people's names along the way as he changes them. So that happens later in the story. But we've come to know them as Abraham and Sarah. If you were here this fall, hopefully this passage sounds familiar. We read it over and over this fall in our Bless series that Abraham and Sarah were called to be a blessing. They were blessed to be a blessing to others. Genesis 22, 17 and 18. This is a little later in the story. God says to Abraham, I will bless you richly. I will multiply your descendants into countless millions like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. They will conquer their enemies and through their descendants all The nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham was just a man living in an out-of-the-way city, Haran, doing his own thing, and God calls him and says, I have a job for you. I want you and Sarah, at, at your advanced age, to go and start a new life in a new place, and become the parents of so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them. They'll be like the sand on the seashore. And by the way, I'm not even going to tell you where exactly I want you to go. Just go. And when you get there, I'll, I'll let you know you're there. Can you imagine a call like that from God? They answered. They picked up their, their, their stuff and packed it on their camels and went off toward the land of Canaan and said, okay, God, you're leading us. We're going to go. Killian McDonald, who is an Irish monk, wrote this, uh, this poem that I love called The Call of Abraham. Gives a little bit of maybe what that, a flavor of what that conversation between God and Abraham was like in, in his, how he imagines it might have gone. This is Abraham speaking here. 
Talk about imperious. Without a, may I presume, no previous contact, no letter of introduction, this unknown God issues edicts. This is not a conversation. Am I a nobody to receive decrees from one whose name I do not know? I have worshipped my own God. To you I have addressed no prayers, but quick, like sudden fire in the desert, I hear, go. At 75, am I supposed to scuttle my life, take that ancient wasteland, Sarai, place my arthritic bones upon the road to some mumbled nowhere? Let me get this straight. I will be brief. I summarize. In 10 generations since the flood, you have spoken to no one. Now, like thunder on a clear day, you give commands. Pull up my tent. Desert the graves of my ancestors for a country you do not name, there to be a stranger. God of the wilderness, from two desiccated lumps, you promise all peoples of the earth will be blessed in me. You come late, Lord, very late, but my camels leave in the morning. He went. He and Sarah went. As the New Testament talks about their journey and their obedience, it talks about their faith. Faith that showed itself in obedience. You see that throughout the New Testament, wherever Abraham and Sarah are mentioned, their faith expressing itself in obedience. That's always what God is looking for from his people, isn't it? Faith that gets lived. Faith that expresses itself in obedience. The call of Abraham and Sarah marks the beginning of this grand rescue operation of God known as the people of Israel. God doesn't start this rescue operation with an army or a politician or um, some well-educated group of people, but with an elderly couple going on a long journey to an unidentified destination. Joshua McNall, who wrote this book, Long Story Short, puts it this way. This is God's idea to fix a broken world, two card-carrying members of the AARP and camels. (laughs) You know, that tells us something about God, doesn't it? Something that's important for us to know, and that's this. God's way of solving problems is fundamentally different than ours. None of us would pick that plan and say, yeah, that's a good plan. Perfect. When God sets out to fix our problems, McNall says, he goes through unlikely channels and unlikely people and unlikely circumstances. When God sets out to fix, bro- uh, broke, to fix creation broken by the crisis of sin, he doesn't pick all the usual things we would normally pick, power and, and uh, science and human brilliance or 
military things, politics. That's the idea of this big, long story of the Bible. God could work through all these different things. He could have just used supernatural powers, right, and sent angels and said, poof, all better, all fixed. But he didn't. Ellsworth Callis says this is one of the great truths of the Bible. He says God could work through all these different ways, but he always chooses people. He says, do you want to see God? Don't look at the sky. Look at your neighbor. Look at your family. That's the message that God is sending us through his scriptures here. He always chooses people. And you know, that's worth thinking about because we all are part of families of one sort or another. Abraham and Sarah's family was far from perfect. If you keep reading Genesis, and I encourage you to do so, if you start right there with that call at chapter 12, you see it's a pretty exciting adventure that they go on with lots of ups and downs, lots of ins and outs, lots of times when you think, who, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in this story? It's hard to tell. Abraham and Sarah finally have a son, Isaac. He has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and there's a big conflict between them and Jacob is the one who is younger and not supposed to inherit everything, but he is sneaky, and he basically steals the inheritance from his brother, and he becomes known as the heel grasper, the deceiver. That's what that that name Jacob means, and God is willing to become known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Complicated, broken people. You know, however we would describe our family, we all have ups and downs. We're all broken in some way because all people are broken in some way. And Abraham and Sarah and their family were no different. And that, that should give us hope. And this is why. It tells us that God uses people with a willing heart, not a perfect resume. God uses people with a willing heart, not a perfect resume. We can see how God did this all through Scripture. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is when Jesus has this multitude of people to feed. They're all starving. It's late in the day, and there's not enough food around. Who comes to the rescue? A little boy with a lunchbox. I've got a few little loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He's basically saying, I got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a mandarin orange. You want to try and feed 10,000 people with that? But Jesus does. If he could do that, then he could do amazing things with our little lunch boxes as well. It's an invitation, this calling of Abraham and Sarah, this beginning of this plan to fix up the world. It's an invitation for you And for me, to be part of that story too. To be part of God's plan for fixing this broken world. And none of us can say, well, I'm not qualified. 
God's got to do this with some other more amazing people than me. I'm not qualified. 1 Samuel 16, 7b puts it this way. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Friends, that is good news. That is good news. God uses the willing. That's the message of this episode of the, the long story, that God uses the willing. In the 1880s, uh, Mr. Willard Houghton, a farmer in the small canal town of Houghton Creek, New York, felt God's call to fix up the world for Jesus Christ. He looked around him and saw a world challenged by poverty and inequality and violence and addiction, and he believed that through, the, through education and the power of the gospel, the world could be changed, and so he started this small educational institution that's become known as Houghton College. He used to sign his letters, yours for fixing up the world with Christ. That's a great job description for each one of us, fixing up the world with Christ. You know, God may not be calling you to start a college, I'm guessing, but he has a calling for you, a calling for each one of us. One thing I've learned over the years is that hearing and obeying God's call is not a matter of hearing it, getting clear on it, doing it, and being done with it. Did that. Answered God's call. Now I can move on. It's more a matter of every day saying, God, you've blessed me. Help me to be a blessing to someone else today. Remember that prayer we prayed every day in the fall as we did our Bless series? I hope you're still praying that. That's what it means to answer God's call, to wake up every morning and say, God, what have you got for me today? Where should I go today? Listening like Abraham and Sarah. God just didn't give them the destination and say, okay, go there, call me when you get there. It was more like an everyday that I had to say, okay, where to today, Lord? That's our model as well. I, I can't remember if I shared this with you before or not. I think I might have. The great preacher Fred Craddock said this, we think giving all, our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in that $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kid his troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of cold water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glamorous. It's done in all these little acts of denying self for Jesus' sake, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little, over the long haul. What is God calling you to do? D.L. Moody, who made a big impact on the world for Christ, 
He read Isaiah 6 in his Bible, 6, 8. It says this, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. He wrote this in the margin next to that verse. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do by the grace of God, I will do. Every one of us has a calling. In seminary, um, Bill and I decided we needed to find a church. We visited around for a little while, and then we said, okay, we got to find a church home. And we discovered St. Andrew's United Methodist Church. One of the ways we found it was there was a big sign out on the road that said, St. Andrew's United Methodist Church, Turn to the Lord, left at the next stoplight. <laughs> we thought that was worth checking out. So we went one Sunday and discovered a horse barn. It was Kentucky, so there's a lot of horse barns around. It was a horse barn that was slowly being converted into a church building. I would say it was about maybe one quarter of the way there. It was more barn than church building still. It was a pretty new congregation and they were just kind of getting started. There was nothing impressive about that building, inside or out. There was really nothing impressive about the music or even the preaching. But what we found there was a group of people willing to say yes to God. And we found that irresistible. We found people who knew what it meant to be so grateful for God's love and grace that they just wanted to live as God's people. When the organist's son got sent back to prison, they put a picture of him in the bulletin with bars drawn in over his face and the verse underneath it, when I was in prison, you visited me. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do to me. And so that church did. They wrote him letters. They visited him. And when he got out of prison, they welcomed him home to church like the prodigal son. Lots of ways, big and small, that church lived their faith. And, and they ended every service with a, a little song that has stayed with me all these years. It was like 25 years ago. There was this little song that went like this. I say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I say, yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I agree, and the answer will be yes, Lord, yes. No matter what the service was about that day, that little song seemed to fit at the end. That kind of willingness to say yes to God, it's contagious. Our calling is to join in the story that God began writing when he called Abraham and Sarah. He's still writing your chapter. And your calling is to say yes. Let's pray together. God, there are so many reasons why 
It seems easier or smarter for us to say no, or maybe not yet, or not totally yes, but a qualified yes, or give you a maybe, or just put it off till later. But God, you're calling, you're calling, calling every day. You're knocking at the door of our hearts. Would you help us now to say yes? A whole hearted yes to whatever it is you may have planned for us. We don't even know what we're saying yes to, Lord, because we don't know where you're leading, but we know who you are. So we know we can trust you. Yes, Lord. Yes. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and receive a blessing as you go? The Bible tells us that in Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are yes. So as you say yes to God this week, know that he is saying yes to you. He loves you. He made you. He has a plan for you. So go in the confidence of God. Amen.